What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. So here we are on episode number 93 and it is the last week of January and just watching the stock markets as I do, I have to say it is on a bit of a wobble. It is actually down this month for the first time in a long time and it has something, it is something that has been warned um, for a bit of time now. There's been a lot of sort of people out there speculating on this, a lot of commentators with different opinions and I have to say I am one of those guys who could easily kind of turn around and say I told you so but um, you know because I did warn that this was something that was a risk in the you know upcoming months and I did that a couple of months ago so I thought today what I would do is do kind of a deep dive into the stock market crypto market and compare it with investing in real estate and, and there's a lot to get through in this. I'm going to be dealing with the pros and cons of each of those asset types. And I'm going to be as completely objective as I can be. Um, I'm also going to review the performance over the last decade. Now, not just lately, but actually going back about 10 years. And I know I could go back a lot, a lot longer, but I just feel like 10 years is a sort of a reasonable period to kind of look back on. And I'm also going to just look at the outlook for all of those for those different assets in the coming months and years ahead and then i'm going to get into some of the methods and strategies that people use to kind of maximize their you know their performance um, but the purpose of that is not to kind of get into strategies and stuff it's actually to get into the kind of mindset and psychology of investing and in order to do that i'm going to be digging up some personal sort of insights and observations and experiences that i've gone through or people I know have gone through over the last 25 years. And so without further ado, let us get into the show. You are listening to Behind the Facade, the number one podcast for investing with a particular focus on the real estate and property investment market. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I'm going to be exploring the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, guys, this deep dive is going to be into a number of popular and, well, perhaps uh, of late, these will not be so popular asset types, um, you know, but we're looking at going to be looking at stocks and crypto and comparing it with real estate. Now, but before I do, I just want to do a quick update on a couple of things. First of all, I hope you enjoyed last week's conversation with Anthony Scandariato, and we talked about syndication, and that is using lots of investors and kind of putting them all together in a group in order to grow your you know, your real estate business and in doing so your wealth. Now, if you haven't listened to that yet, that is episode 92. So be sure to go back and listen to that. Now, I've got a lot more guests booked over the next couple of weeks. And um, if you have any suggestions on a guest that I haven't sort of spoken to yet that you think would make for a good guest, please do send me a DM in social media or LinkedIn or whatever way you want to contact me, but I'm all ears. I'd love to be able to reach out to people. And, um, you know, if you think there's somebody out there who would make for a good guests, a good guest, please do let me know. 
The next update I just want to give you, and it's really more of a just kind of thankful, uh, I'm just thankful to kind of see that um, Richard O'Halloran is back safely in Ireland. Now, if anyone has been listening sort of carefully to these episodes over the last couple of years, you will, you may recall that I mentioned Richard O'Halloran in the past and his kind of predicament. And Richard is actually a guy I went to school with. So I know Richard since we were kind of young kids. And um, what happened was he's in the aircraft leasing sector and he was working for a company, a Chinese company that has a subsidiary based in Dublin. And it turns out that his boss, the Chinese kind of founder of the company, got himself into a spot of bother legally back home in China. And it involved some transactions with the Irish subsidiary. So Richard was keen to sort it all out, being a director of the company, flew to China to testify in a court case against his old boss and, you know, to be completely up, you know, transparent about everything and try to be as cooperative as possible. Did all that. The, 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 the old boss was found guilty. And when he went to the airport, you know, job well done, went to the airport to leave. He was told that his ex, his exit visa uh, was on hold. And that was three years ago. And Richard spent the last three years in a hotel, not able to leave China, unable to get out. Now, Richard has four kids and his wife and they, the kids were all, as you can imagine, for three years, extremely upset and concerned about him and everything. And so I was very, very pleased to see that he arrived back in Dublin safely uh, on Saturday, which is yesterday morning. And there's some lovely photos of him with the kids. And uh, imagine what that must feel like after three years. So um, anyway, some good news there. And I did mention Richard's situation, I don't know, probably maybe a year ago at this stage. It's hard to tell. But anyway, another thing uh, on the connection to uh, China there. And uh, a few weeks back, uh, a couple of months back at this stage, possibly, I mentioned, uh, I gave you guys an update on Evergrande. And uh, in case you're not following it now in the news these days, it is effectively being broken up at the moment. And the assets are being stripped away and given to local regions to kind of complete out the developments and stuff. But what's interesting is Oak Tree. And Oak Tree is this huge kind of, I suppose you could call it like a hedge fund or a private equity fund. And it's worth 158 billion. It's based in Los Angeles in California. But they have gone in, they've sort of swept in and they've taken control of this massive project just outside Shanghai called Venice. And um, it's, uh, by all accounts, a massive project, a very valuable project. And a lot of people were kind of surprised to see that a U.S. firm has like swept in and taken one of the best assets in the group. So it's going to be very interesting to watch what happens there. But um, uh, in the meantime, in the Chinese market, Pretty much it, the property sector there is in free fall at the moment. Nobody is investing in property because they all can see the writing on the wall. And so because of that, all of these development companies that build thousands of houses, thousands of apartments every single month, and then expect to sell thousands of them every single month, they're unable to sell any of them. The whole market has kind of dropped away. And so whereas Evergrande was always considered to be kind of a shaky company, now you've got companies that were always considered to be kind of the top companies, the best run, 
you know, never kind of over leveraging themselves, they're starting to struggle. And the biggest one is Country Garden. And it went and went out to the market with some corporate debt, as would be the normal thing for a company like this to do. And nobody wanted to touch the debt. So it's shaking up the market pretty badly there. And a lot's going to happen in the next couple of weeks and months, I think, in China. Now, let's get into the main topic and <laughs> comparing investing in stocks and crypto with real estate. Certainly, you would not want to be investing in Chinese real estate right now. And uh, the stock market and crypto markets at the moment also would be showing you a bit of a loss. But, um, you know, if you could take it over a longer term, obviously, that could be quite different. And I'm going to I, I like I, I accept I'm going to have lots of people with perhaps opposing views to my views here today. But I'm going to be as objective as I can. And I mean, I'm not a uh, I'm not a crypto kind of cheerleader, but at the same time, I'm going to go and outline what I see as the pros and cons. I'm going to tell you some of the stuff. And, uh, you know, it's I'm not completely against it. I, I actually have invested in it over the years, but there's just aspects of it that I want to kind of warn you about and also the stock market as well. And um, and, and I'm, I mean, obviously, I've lost a lot of money in real estate over the years, so. This is not kind of a one-sided thing. I'm going to give you both sides of each of them. Now, it's important to mention when I talk about stocks, I'm generalizing a little bit because nowadays these trading platforms on your phone and stuff, you can really trade almost anything. So it's not necessarily just stocks. You've got currencies, precious metals, financial derivatives like options and all that kind of stuff, futures. So having said all that, you do need to be kind of an expert to deal with some of those things and buying commodities and buying futures and commodities. If you're going to get into that kind of thing, you're generally going to be kind of an expert. And if you're not an expert, then you have no business being in there because you could lose your shirt very quickly. So I'm going to start with the pros and cons of all of these things and getting straight into the pros of, say, stocks and crypto. It is most definitely liquidity, and that is the ease uh, of getting in and getting out of these things. If you want to get into the stock market, if you want to get into crypto, all you have to do is just download the app on your phone, put a little bit of money into your account, and literally that easily you can have the stock market shares or these um, crypto uh, currencies. And it's as simple as that. Now, this compares very uh, favorably with say real estate which is and one of the cons against real estate is that it's a very illiquid asset and like the time it takes to buy and sell a property the the time it takes like to get a lawyer involved or a solicitor and you know to go through the legal transaction you're talking about you know eight, eight weeks usually maybe 12 weeks you got to go usually you're going to be buying with a mortgage there's a whole rigmarole in getting a mortgage you know you got to kind of go to the banks and you got to go through credit committees and all this then if you want to sell the property you got to appoint an agent you got to market the property so it is not straightforward to get into the property market and that is definitely one of the advantages of say the stock market and crypto market is just the ease of liquidity the liquidity you can get in and out quickly but also the ease of getting in and out now another aspect um, relating to stocks and crypto which depending on where you know whether it's going up or down could be considered to be a pro or a con and that is volatility now if the market is going up 
volatility is something that you actually like because you know you can see a five or ten percent increase in your stock market or your crypto market currencies you know in in a very very quick time and that's great when it's going up now it's not so great when it's going down as quickly and so that is why i haven't put it either as a pro or a con like volatility is often in the eyes of the beholder like if you're going through a really bad time and your shares are dropping like a rock that is a terrible feeling but if you're you know master of the universe and everything is going great it feels fantastic now in the case of crypto you can be looking at volatility that's you know 100x in a day or you know even a thousand x in a day and that's kind of hard to um hard to deal with mentally if it goes against you i mean if you get into the market it's always good to kind of as they as they say to dollar cost average into the market and that means sort of dripping a small amount in every day as opposed to putting say five thousand in tomorrow morning um, instead of doing that you might say i'm gonna put 50 a, a day for the next you know kind of 100 days and that will get you into the market in a kind of an averaging way as opposed to kind of going in and being super volatile and maybe your 5,000 becomes 3,000 within 24 hours or it could become 7,000 in 24 hours and that's what I mean by the pros and cons depending on where you're sitting. The pros of stocks and real estate over crypto are most definitely the fact that you can actually generate an income for, from them. Now the stock market you can get a dividend and in the case of property or real estate you obviously can collect rent you have no income from cryptocurrencies and well certainly not bitcoin and if you're going to be into a an asset for a long time it is nice to get a little bit of income from it and certainly if you're if you're borrowing any money obviously it's definitely beneficial to have that income coming off now the pros uh, of stocks and real estate as well are that it has an intrinsic value now tr intrinsic value is basically the actual underlying value of the asset itself now I'm not talking about the market value so the intrinsic value of say a property would be you know you've got how many you know a couple of hundred uh, blocks a uh, couple of you know hundred bricks you've got a lot of slates you've got a lot of wood um, and timber you've got carpets and curtains like all of those products cost money to put into a property kitchen costs money bathrooms cost money all of that cost money somebody had to pay for all that that's sitting there and that has an intrinsic value now the total value of all of that might be 150,000 but the market value might be 350,000 and so you could say that the land the site itself is maybe worth 200,000 so it all has an intrinsic value and that is unrelated to the market value that is the, the value that people assign on it and if you sell your property you buy your property for 350 and sell it for 400 obviously the market sees it as having gone up in value but the intrinsic value will have pretty much stayed the same in that time now in the case of stock market you've got companies a company shares are basically it's fractional ownership of the company and so there will be maybe you know 10 million shares in um, out there and you own a thousand of them we'll say and it means that you own 1000 shares in a 10 million float 
and that means that you have a very 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 small percentage of that company you own that company's products you own that company's inventory you own the assets the buildings that it is in and whatever else that assets the factories whatever you own a little tiny piece of that that has intrinsic value i mean if you were to if the company was to stop producing anything in the morning and just put all of those assets up for sale along would come competitors and they would buy those assets they'd buy buildings they'd buy you know sort of company cars whatever it might be and there would be a certain value for that now one of the big cons in crypto is it actually has no intrinsic value it is a piece of code on a computer and or on a network or whatever you want to call it and the reality is is like the, there's plenty of market value there like the people that are trading these cryptocurrencies they themselves you know accept that look this is worth a thousand it's worth five thousand whatever it is and if there's somebody out there to buy it then that's the market value but there is no intrinsic value if you were to say you know what there's nobody to you know to buy this property or this this cryptocurrency off me today so what can i do with it well you can do nothing with it you can't you know you can't sell it for the code the value of the code you can't you know eat it <laughs> you can't live in it you can't do anything it has no intrinsic value but it does have market value but it, it all depends in the eyes of the holder and so what in the event of a crash or something like that or in the event of you know something that takes down the network what is it worth to you then it's not necessarily worth as much so you've got to be careful about that one of the pros of real estate is leverage and that is the ease at which debt can be secured against the asset itself now you can also use debt in trading um, stocks and things like that but you've got to be careful margin is dangerous and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later but if you don't know what margin is I'll explain shortly um, but basically it, it just means borrowing on the uh, amount of cash that you have in the account in the case of real estate though you have things like mortgages and they are very common they're not difficult to obtain generally speaking and so um, that is something that is quite familiar with most people and, and and most people who are buying real estate will buy with a mortgage um, or some form of debt one of the pros of stocks and crypto i think i mentioned it just a moment ago is fractional ownership you can have you know one millionth of a share of uh, you can have one millionth of a company percent of a company insofar as there might be 10 million shares out there and you buy one share with real estate now it's not quite the same thing you can syndicate so you can have as as our, our guest last week anthony uh, mentioned you can bring in like say 25 investors and you can buy a property with all 25 investors putting in a certain amount so it's not dissimilar but it's not quite the same thing as having fractional ownership and being able to sell your one share for one dollar or whatever it is another pro on the stocks and crypto is just the ease of holding you've got no storage you've got no maintenance um it's just it just sits as, as a code on your computer again part of the whole intrinsic value thing with property it comes with ownership you've got obligations you've got liabilities you need to have insurance in place you need to have maintenance cover you've got to obviously your your tenants have certain rights and you have obligations as the landlord 
all of this stuff puts certain onus on you as the owner whereas is as a stockholder or a crypto holder you really don't have any of those aspects the next thing is the uh, crypto one of the pros of crypto is the anonymity that you can have with crypto now the only thing about anonymity is like what is the benefit of it in in the western world if you look at for example india or afghanistan there is definitely a benefit to anonymity there or there's an there's an aspect that you could say um is it, it gives safety and you can own an asset nobody need know and that can protect you but in the western world we've got all sorts of things that we need to keep um we you know you you, you obviously have certain requirements and tax and all, all that kind of stuff so i guess if it's a pro for criminal gangs and things like that that it, there's an anonymity but for most investors anonymity is not really that important one of the pros of stock and real estate is also that it is regulated and so there are government bodies there that actually kind of protect your rights and make sure that there's a certain amount of regulation crypto is not the case now people would turn around and say that the fact that it's not regulated is an advantage but you can get fleeced when there's no regulation there and you so you've got to be a little bit careful of that and crypto at the moment is kind of the wild west i mean you can you there was a situation some time back where a i think it was mount mount geox i think it was called and it was an entity that held lots of crypto for people and it got raided or you know somebody came along basically changed the code and stole all the money from it so it's it's a little bit different to how it's done with the um with the mainstream assets like stocks and, and real estate right so i've covered that pros and cons now let's take a look at the performance over the last say decade okay i'm going to take go back as far as 2012 and i could go back an awful lot longer obviously i mean the, if you go back to 1920 you can actually follow the u.s stock market and you can see what they call the the you know the big uh, the the recession or not the recession the depression as they called it but it was 1929 was black wednesday i think it was where the market fell by massive amount and it just kept on falling and everyone ended up broke um in the last few years here you know no matter where you're living whether it's the us the uk australia ireland it's it's been a pretty good for most investors prices have been rising quickly across the board doesn't really matter what asset you own it has been pretty much going up now that is called a bull market now there's many reasons for the bull market and the bear markets but let's have a look at what has been creating a bull market for the last couple of years and if we were to pinpoint it on anything in particular i'd say the biggest driver has been the low his uh, the low interest rates now they have been historically low for a long time and uh, it costs you almost nothing to borrow money these days compared to how it used to be and in fact at the moment certainly if uh, you know listening in from ireland here and you're you know anywhere in the eurozone we actually have negative interest rates here now and so if you have got money saved up in your bank account you're actually being charged for keeping it in the bank now that is something that we didn't have to deal with before and suddenly we have it now i don't think we're going to have it for a great deal longer given the way inflation is starting to kind of go up but 
it does make you wonder um, about, you know, historically low. I mean, it, it's just who would have ever thought that you're going to have negative interest rates back when my father was alive like in the 90s. Um, he I can remember when after he died, I remember looking at our papers, the various papers, and we had a mortgage on the house and the interest rate was 16 percent. Now, just take a moment for that to sink in. Imagine what it would be like to pay 16 percent interest on your home. And now today, you know, we're borrowing if anywhere from like 2 percent up to, say, 5 percent or something like that. 16 percent um, you can imagine what the payments would be like and so you can understand now why asset prices were so low back then because people just could not afford to go out and buy uh, with a lot of debt because it would just be such a huge amount to have to repay every month what about stocks and shares and crypto well do these rates impact those values as well yes they definitely do um, and it's well in so far as if you're looking at if you're a novice investor then it's unlikely that you're using a lot of debt in the stock market but the problem is as well not the problem the the fact is is that the markets are pretty much driven by the large institutional investors so if you're buying and selling small amounts of shares it doesn't really impact the market but along comes the you know come to these big pension funds and institutions and they will literally be investing millions and tens of millions in shares and even billions in shares and they can move a market and because they all use debt and margin and things like that they have been just having a field day for the last couple of years with these low interest rates and when you have interest rates of kind of like one percent or whatever it is like 0.25 in the US negative here in Europe and I think something like 0.25 in the UK, you just, those big institutions, they just can't lose because they're getting kind of even 5% uh, return means that they're making money straight away and they can borrow all of this money. But if you go back and look over, say, a decade, how does the overall performance of the different indices and different assets out there? So what I wanted to do was look at, for example, using... Um, property prices. Now I'm not going to get into all the different aspects of um, properties that are out there. I mean there's obviously you know there's retail and there's uh, logistics and there's you know hospitality and there's offices the area that I'm kind of involved and interested in but you've got for the most part most investors in the real estate market it's house prices that are of interest to them and if you look at the UK house prices from 2012 the average cost of a house from 2012 was 166,000 pounds today the average price across the UK is 268,000 so that is just a 1.6x uh, return over 10 years now that compares with the irish market my own home market we have seen not a dissimilar amount the average irish house price in 2012 was 171,000 euro today that average price has crept up to 291,000 euro and so we're looking at about a 1.7 x return on over say 10 years now that compares with say if you want to look at the stock market if we go to the uk 
and look at the main kind of indices. And by indices, if you're unfamiliar, it's just it, they take, say, 100 stocks, the largest stocks in the UK market, and they'll take the average of that and they'll add it all up and you get a figure. And it's in this case, it's the FTSE 100 figure that I'm reading out here. But in January 2012, the FTSE was at 5,871. Today, the FTSE is at 7,466. That is a 1.27x return. Now, so it's done worse than property in Ireland, property in England. Um, and then actually having a look at the Irish, we have the Isaac in Ireland. And the Isaac in 2012, January 2012, was 3,008. Uh, today that's at 8,162. So we've looked, we're looking at a 2.7x return on our investments in that 10 year period. Now, if you go over to the US markets, which are kind of the main market that a lot of people pay attention to, you've got a couple of different indices there, depending on whether it's industrial kind of stocks or whether it's high growth tech stocks. The, the Dow Jones Industrial Average in January 2012 was 12,952. Today it's 34,725. That is the 2.7x return, exactly the same as the Isaac in Ireland. But then we've got better indices in America as well. The S&P 500, which is uh, quite a well-known uh, indices as well, Back in February 2012, that was 1,379. Today, that's 4,431. Now, that's a 3.2x return, so it's better again than the Isaac and the Dow Jones. But the NASDAQ, which is where all of the tech companies are listed, the NASDAQ is substantially better. It is January 2012, the price was 3046 Today, it's at 13,770. So that is a 4.5x return over 10 years. So if you put $100 into the NASDAQ in 2012, you would have $450 at the end uh, today. Now, if I compare that with Bitcoin in that same period, it is you're just going to say, whoa, Bitcoin is where we should be investing. And January 2012, the cost of one Bitcoin was $3. Today, the price of one Bitcoin is $37,565. That's a 12,521x return. That's, uh, you know, $100 put in the stock in, in Bitcoin in January 2012 would today be worth $12,521. So I think you could say that Bitcoin has won that little battle, um, it would be safe to say. But it's let's have a look at that. That's not necessarily the case, and I'm going to explain why. If you look at property prices, they went up between 1.6 and 1.7x over 10 years. Stock market indices, depending on which one you're looking at, went from the FTSE at 1.27x to the NASDAQ at 4.5x. And Bitcoin, as I mentioned, went up 12,500-odd-x. So easy to think that Bitcoin won. But you got to also remember that property 
prices, you know, whatever your property was, it also earned you an income for that 10 year period. So you would have had rent coming off for the full 10 years. Remember, Bitcoin doesn't pay any dividend. So you've been holding it for all that time, but you've had nothing out of it. So the only way you can get anything out of Bitcoin is to sell some of it on the way up. And if it keeps on growing like this, you don't necessarily want to sell it. So it's it's kind of like theoretical money in a sense. It's like, it's great, you're now worth 12500 but you can't touch it. If you pull any money out, you're going to lose because the money keeps on going up. Whereas if that was throwing off, say, a 10% dividend, you could have 1200 a year to enjoy. And uh, you can't do that with Bitcoin. That's just one of the dis disadvantages, I guess. Stocks also earned dividends. Um, now, if you're talking about the industrial, you know, we talked about Dow Jones and FTSE. Most of those big companies all pay substantial dividends. And if it's like an oil company, they're quite generous with their dividends. The tech companies, less so. But with, you know, if you bought Apple or Amazon, they don't pay a dividend, but they do grow quite well and quite quickly and they're very profitable and they're effectively like monopolies and so they grow faster and so i guess you don't really mind the fact that you're not getting an income from that but it's not dissimilar then from bitcoin but where we where it would be kind of a misleading is that we have not considered leverage with these and by leverage i mean as i mentioned earlier debt mortgages all of that when you leverage buying an asset, what you effectively do is uh, it means like, say, for example, let's use the property example. Typically, you put down 25% and you will borrow, say, 75%. Now, if you go and do that, what you're looking at is your gain is actually going to be four times because you put down a deposit. So say you put down your 100,000 and you borrow 300,000 you're actually making a return of four times your cash going into the deal. So if your property went up by 1.6 times, um, you've actually got the enjoyment of four times that. So your 100 pounds that or euro that you put in will actually be worth 640 because of the mortgage or the leverage effect. In the case of the 1.7 in the Irish market, your 100 thousand we'll say invested in property would be worth 680,000 at the end of the 10 years and in the meantime you've had rent paying down the interest on your mortgage so you don't have that kind of outgoing stock market gains can also be quite big too now sophisticated investors will use margins and those margin trading accounts and um, they're, they're often called CFDs or contracts for difference. Now, this is the type of investing where you're where the institution you use allows you to leverage up on the cash you have. Now, there's different amounts that you can leverage up on. If you're buying currencies, you can leverage up to 100 times what you have on deposit. If you're buying shares, usually it's around 10x. If they are volatile shares, they might reduce that to kind of 4 or 5x. So in the case of the NASDAQ, you would probably be able to borrow 10x the NASDAQ. And so your 4.5x return would actually be closer to a 45x return. Um, but then you didn't have any dividends in that time period.
So if we look at property, we're looking at a 6.8x return because of leverage. If we look at the NASDAQ, we could be looking at 45x return because of leverage on the growth stocks. But it is still a long way off the 12,500% x that we're uh, the 12,500x return that we looked at. So again, on the face of it, Bitcoin is winning the race, right? Well, that is where volatility comes into the question. And if you remember my pros and cons earlier, we talked about volatility being a pro or a con, depending on where you sit. If, you're, if the market's going up, it's a pro. If the market's going down, it is a, you know, it's a con. And looking at the 10-year performance, you know, if you look at three at the beginning, and 37,000 today, yes, 12,000x return, it's fantastic. But as way too simple, we've just simplified it way too much. You actually have to look at the individual years and have a look at the volatility. And you have to ask yourself, do you have the mindset for that kind of volatility? Now, I'm going to go through the 10 years um, of holding Bitcoin and just have a look at the volatility here, okay? So in January 2012, it was $3. It finished the year at $12. So in that year, your $100 that you, well, let's say you put $1,000 in. At the end of the year, you'd be worth $4,000. So that's pretty good. Now, in the year 2013, it was much, much better. The price at the start of the year was $13. But at the end of the year, it was $947. So that was actually an increase of 73x in one year. It's probably one of the best years that they enjoyed. And um, so if you got into Bitcoin in 2013 at the beginning, you, you made 73x your money. So your $1,000 at the beginning of 2013 would be worth $73,000 at the end of it. So that is where people suddenly took notice and suddenly went, whoa, look what you can do with Bitcoin. And this is where you have to become kind of disciplined because it's very easy to look at your friends that have been investing in this kind of exotic currency and see them suddenly able to afford nice cars and all this kind of stuff. And you say, whoa, I want to get into that. So in January 2014, it's worth $770 per one Bitcoin. You put your money in, you think you're going to do really, really well. December of that year, the price is now 378. It has fallen by 50%. So your thousand dollars or euro that you put into your Bitcoin is now worth 500. So you've lost half your capital. Now, it's all fine and well if you had that money to spare, but sometimes people put money into something that they don't have to lose and so they need to get that money back and so you'd be looking at losing 50% of your money now obviously if you put it in at the start of 2013 and you're up 73x then you're not going to be sort of suffering so much but if you were up 73x and the following year you're down 50% so your 73 has become sort of what 37 uh, or something like that you suddenly feel a bit foolish and so it's the it's the mindset it's the psychology of these swings that can be difficult to kind of cope with in 2015 the price increased by just 15 percent so at least it wasn't a fall but it only rose by a sort of 15 percent 
in 2016, it rose 73%. Now, that's not 73x like before. That's just shy of 2x, basically. You've not quite doubled your money. In January 2017, the, there was a decent jump in the value of Bitcoin. At the, in January, it went from $998 for one Bitcoin, and by December of that year, it was 10859 per one Bitcoin. So you're looking at a 10x return there, which is fantastic. So again, if you got in at the beginning of that year with, with $1,000, you would have $10,000 at the end of that year. So it was another good year for Bitcoin. But again, that is a risky thing because when you see something do that, you go, whoa, I need to be in this. This is where FOMO creeps in, fear of missing out. And people pile into the market. And when they pile into the market, other people pile out of the market. And so in January 2018, one Bitcoin cost $13,412. By the end of that year, one Bitcoin was $4,165. It had fallen in value by 69%. So you're one thousand dollars that you put in would be worth about what's that about thirty dollars or three hundred dollars your thousand has fallen by seven by six hundred and ninety dollars to three hundred and ten dollars so again timing is everything if you got in in january 2018 you've lost 70 percent of your money at the end of the first year that's going to knock your confidence and that's going to make you wonder whether this was the right decision. In January 2019, it was 3,869 for one Bitcoin. At the end of the year, it was 7,000. So it doubled in value that year. In 2020, it went from 7,000 to 18,000, which is not quite double, uh, not, not, quite, not quite 2x, but 1.6x. And then as we, as you all probably know, because it's so recent, but in January 2021, a year ago, it was 29,391 for a Bitcoin. And in March of that year, so March last year, it hit its all-time high of 60,955. But it has currently fallen back and it is at 37,000 now. And the problem with that is, if you were one of those people that invested at 60,000, you're now looking at, you know, almost... 50% wiped out of your capital. And so this is why the volatility is important. And, you know, we talk about leverage with the banks, uh, sorry, with properties and with um, stocks and stuff. But if you were leveraging your investment into Bitcoin, I mean, those years, if you're, say you're putting a thousand, say you've put a thousand into an institution and they've given you 10,000 to invest. Well, you could be looking at an increase of 730% in the case of the January 2013 to December. So your thousand becomes not 73,000, but 730,000, which sounds like a fantastic achievement. But if that had gone the other way, if you were 2018 and you put a thousand dollars in, and borrowed, uh, you know, you used the margin trading as they use, and you and you bought ten thousand instead. Your ten thousand dollars would have fallen to three thousand, and your original one thousand would have been lost completely. And they'd be coming after you 
for another 2,900. So you would have lost three times the total amount of the money that you put in. So leverage can work against you very badly when it goes against you. When it's going up, everything is great. So look, we've covered the performance over 10 years. What about the next 10 years uh, or even the next year? And so the outlook I'm looking at now for these investments, and it's for stocks and crypto, it's hard to say with crypto, but with stocks, it's not looking so rosy at the moment. Inflation has really thrown a spanner in the works as far as the economy is concerned, certainly the US economy, and uh, pretty much everyone is suffering with this. But a lot of commentators are saying that, you know, the low interest rates we've had for so long and the amount of sort of money being stimulus being poured into the market has created a super bubble similar to that of 2000 when we were in the dot-com bubble and that they all are not all of them but a lot of people are predicting huge falls it's very hard to say but just so as you're aware from 1995 to 2000 we had the dot-com bubble and in that time the Nasdaq rose from a thousand to five thousand four hundred and eight in March of 2000. That's a 5.4x return. Now I mentioned earlier that at the moment you're looking at a 4.5x return in 10 years for the Nasdaq. So we're certainly not in the same kind of league in terms of um, the bubble, but we are still not far off in terms of the, the values. And where you really got to pay attention with the stock market, it's the behavior of people. And I'm not just talking about the stock market, I'm talking about crypto as well. You know, back in 2000, um, it just went absolutely like frenzied for the dot-coms. And overnight, there was companies that just simply added dot-com to their name and their price would spike. And, you know, companies that had no internet strategy, but they put dot-com in their name, suddenly their value would go up by 3x or something overnight. Now, this all sounds bit crazy doesn't it but the reality is it all sounds quite familiar to me because you've got people out there buying nfts like you've got these paintings that you know people were buying for 73 million an nft of um the artist uh, i can't remember his name but bleeble or beeble or something like that it, it's incredible to think that somebody paid 73 million for this then also you've got the meme stocks you know gamestop and all this and you had it go up by you know some huge massive percentage not because of any underlying investment strategy or anything just because a big crowd of people decided that let's all go and push this up and if you look behind it that kind of sentiment like let's all push this price up that is exactly what's happening with crypto and i i've actually heard there's different coins out there like bitcoin is the the, the most well-known and the you know the one that everyone kind of references but the reality is is there's thousands of coins now i think there's something like twelve thousand coins out there and the different coins there's ones called shiba inu and there's ones called dogecoin and the one i think it was shina ibu is supposed to have gone up by a hundred and seventy thousand percent in the space of a week or something and so obviously if you're lucky enough to get in on that you can do incredibly well but you can't always exit and also because if you've watched bitcoin growing the way it has you may not want to exit you may be thinking wow i'm up 170,000 x in a week what will i be up in a year and so you hold on and then the whole thing collapses and you end up with nothing 
Now, I watch guys like there's a YouTuber called Meet Kevin, and he's always talking about buy the dip. And you have to wonder, you know, is that a good strategy right now? Buying the dip. If you look at the 2000 uh, crash, the book, the dot com crash, uh, around about the time that pets.com went bankrupt, the market suddenly fell by, it took about two years, but the market fell by 70%. Amazon went down by 70%. Some stocks went down by 96%. And it did not recover quickly. It took 14 years for the market to get back to the price that it had been at. And so, you know, if you're prepared to hang on for 14 years, great. But a lot of people would not have the patience for that. And they would want to go and put their money somewhere else. They'd be kind of thinking, this is stagnating. I, it was it was all a, it was all wrong. And they basically think like that. So you just got to think about your mindset and all this stuff. Do you have the discipline and the patience for this? It's easy to say that you do, but do you actually have it? Now, just it's important to point out there that those companies that survived the dot-com crash, um, a lot of them actually went on to become the giants that we know today. So Amazon, eBay, Google, they all survived the dot-com crash and look at them today. So let's go to the next one. The next thing I want to tell you about is um, whether the outlook is rosy or not. I mean, there's a lot of risks out there. Uh, there's a lot of geopolitical risk and you've just got to be careful when you're in this kind of uncertainty. You've got Inflation obviously is having its impact. Then you've got the US stock market. A lot of people think that that is in a Super Bowl and it's overinflated. You've got the Chinese property market that I mentioned, you know, Evergrande and all that. And then what's really, you know, kind of the, the difficult one to predict is the Russia-Ukraine tensions at the moment. And you've got, you know, Russia is currently, I mean, I read today that they're actually now sort of bringing blood supplies out to the front line. And that does, I mean, of course, it could just be another chess move by Putin, but that is, sounds like they're on, you know, they've made up their mind, they're on the verge of invasion. And that could actually have this massive, massive impact on the stock market anyway. And um, so how do you survive all of this potential volatility? And, you know, I, I've been through the 2008 crash in property. And how do you survive property downturn well the thing to remember is time in the market usually beats trying to time the market so it's all fine and well to be saying that you're going to sit back and just buy when everything is low but not everyone gets that right if you were to buy the dip in 2000 in say april 2000 um, when everything when the stock market in the us the nasdaq started to collapse you bought the dip and you sort of said, right, it's down 30%, I'm gonna buy the dip now. And it went on to drop to 70%, but it took two years to do that. So you just need to be careful. And the main thing is, is it's it's all fine to kind of look for 12,000% you know, in, increases in your portfolio and stuff, but will you survive a you know the, the storm if it comes along? And the way to do it is to diversify, have a good mix of stocks, have some have some kind of basic ones that are there that produce income they don't grow rapidly then buy some of the rapidly growing stuff as well buy some property have a little bit of your portfolio maybe in crypto for those massive gains that you can get but don't put all your eggs in one basket don't use too much leverage and make sure you can cover 
the rates. If you are borrowing any money, make sure you can cover potential rate hikes because it's quite likely that we're going to see an increase in prices um, in, in rates being charged for debt and stuff. By far, the biggest benefit is to understand yourself. You know, we, you can kind of say, oh, what strategy are you going to use and all that? But really, the most important thing is to actually have a deep understanding of your own personality. And like I've said before, patience and discipline are essential. But do you have it in you to be patient and to have discipline? Like we all like to think that we do. And we all kind of say, yes, I'm, I'd be very disciplined if I was in this situation. But really, can you, like objectively, can you, are you good at re resisting temptation? Like if you're a person that enjoys a couple of pints or a couple of glasses of wine, have you ever drank more than you should? Uh, you know, that's temptation. That's like, you know, a few extra pints, whatever it might be, that's temptation. When you're looking at the stock market, if somebody that is a friend of yours has just made 50,000 on stocks and he tells you, oh yeah, I bought this stock. Would you just sit back and say, well, I've, you know, I probably missed out on that. Or do you think, geez, I'm going to go and buy into that and then watch your money fall in half. You just like, this is the thing about temptation. You really got to understand. So it is super important that you're 100% clear on your strengths and weaknesses. Have a good, solid understanding about your personality your personality traits are you a natural gambler are you overly conservative uh, you know I, I talk about paralysis by analysis do you suffer from that if you do then you're obviously quite conservative but if you're an entrepreneur uh, I, I consider myself to be an entrepreneur uh, it, there is an element of the gambler in an entrepreneur you know we're used to taking risks we don't see risks the same way a conservative person sees risks there's also the herd mentality. When you see everyone selling, it's quite easy to get caught up in that emotion of you know fear and thinking, whoa, if everyone's selling, I should sell too. Now, it's quite difficult to just hold on while everyone else around you is selling. It's not what you want to be, it's what you are. It's who you are. We all want to be the Warren Buffett out there who can buy you know, the dip, you know, buy, have lots of money put aside and all this kind of stuff. He, you know, Warren Buffett has famously said, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Now, this is great advice, but have you ever tried holding on to stocks as the prices are collapsing? It's fine to say that you have diamond hands. It's great in theory, but have you ever been truly tested? Um, have you watched your net worth sink by 95% and decided that you're going to sit back, you're completely confident that it's going to be bouncing back and do nothing. Another one I see that I laugh about is I see this laser eyes and the laser eyes, you know, people were putting their 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 profile photo in LinkedIn and on Facebook and stuff. And it was the, their face with these laser eyes. And that was a meme for basically that you're going to hold Bitcoin forever. You're never going to sell it. And that's all fine and well when you're up 37,000%. But if it suddenly went down, you know, 50% and your millions that you're thinking you had suddenly turns into kind of like 100,000, you, you will, it'll, it'll mess with your mind. So you just have to understand your personality and understand do you have the strength to actually weather that or, you know, should you? 
have the strength to weather that should you not just take your profits out and spread it maybe keep a little bit in there but spread it out be a little bit more conservative of course you're not going to make the same kind of gains but you might actually end up holding on to something a lot of people have lost everything over the years because they were super confident and they thought this thing was going to bounce back and it turned out that it was just a fad or whatever so with rates so low for so long now um, the prices continue to rise good assets were you know bought up quickly people started looking at the cheaper assets they started looking at growth stocks and all that and after a while everyone wants to get in so as i mentioned you know you start hearing about pals who've doubled their money and you kind of think whoa i'm missing out on this i want to have some of that and fomo can really play on your mind now i've done it all i've bought and sold stocks i've had crypto i've bought and sold real estate I've made a lot of money and I've lost a lot of money in all of these different investments. And I'm going to finish up now with just a couple of stories, insights, observations from my career over the last 25 years. First, I'm going to tell you about my crypto experience. So I was at a barbecue in Spain in 2011. And one of my pals is, a, you know, a guy who's into crypto and all this. And he was telling me at this barbecue that there's a thing called Bitcoin. This is in 2011, remember? And at the time, the price was $93, as I recall. Um, I think it was in that region anyway. And the we were, we were thinking, whoa, we should go and buy. We should put a little bit of money. Actually, sorry, I'm wrong about the date. I think it was around 2013 or something like that, but $93. And in a short period of time, it shot up to 140. So in the end, we decided not to buy. And, you know, do I look back and regret not buying Bitcoin at $140? Of course, it's easy to say that. But the reality is I know that I would not have held on up to $60,000. Like, first of all, it was difficult to buy it. You had to go and get this kind of special wallet. It's not like it is now where you can have an app on your phone. You had to buy all this kind of equipment to hold your stuff, uh, your Bitcoin. And over the years, like... I would have watched those, you know, that, that Bitcoin that I was going to buy. We were going to buy 5,000 euro each of Bitcoin. So at $93 per Bitcoin, um, today at 60,000, that would have been worth 3.7 million or something like that. But do I ever think for a moment that I would have held on for all of those years that I wouldn't have sold, that I wouldn't have kind of like taken some profits now and then. And if I had bought a load at that price and then so it, and then it went up to 18,000 at one stage i can remember in um it i remember it hit 21,000 at one peak and then shortly after the 21,000 it fell back again and it ended up at 3,000 now if you had bought at 93 and you went and watched it go all the way up to 18,000 and then it fell and fell and fell and it went to 6,000 and it went to 5,000 and it ended up at 3,000. Like, would you have just hold on, held on or would you have said, God, as soon as it goes to 15, I'm going to get back out again. And this is what happens. Like, you never go broke taking a profit. So it's always working on your mind. You can't see the future. So you're always going to be thinking that there's a possibility that this is, you know, this is my last chance to get out. Now, that's my uh, my crypto 
a story. I, I have all of these, you know, values that I can, I can, my, my holding would have been worth 3.25 million if I had held on. But the reality is, I don't think I would have ever sat and just watched it go to that. I just, it's just not in my makeup. I have lots of other investments that I would have wanted to make. I would have wanted to put property deals together and I might have been able to access cash in that holding and I might have put it into that. So now I also had some pretty wild experiences in the CFDs or the margin trading contracts for difference. Now, what I did was I was very, very active as a property investor and I had made quite a bit of profit on that. And I had lunch with a friend of mine who was trading in CFDs. And he was telling me they had made a load of money buying Ryanair. And these Ryanair shares had you know, jumped up. And I can remember as we were having lunch, he said that he had made 40,000 on Ryanair. And I remember thinking, whoa, 40,000, like that's, because I was you know, buying and selling shares in companies. But I, would, I had maybe seen a, a profit of maybe five or 6,000 or something. 40,000 seemed like a huge amount. So I was like, how, how much money do you have in the stock market? And he did not have any more than me, but he was margin trading. And margin trading, as I mentioned, allows you to, to invest 10 times what you actually have in your account. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna have some of that. So I had 100,000 sit in my bank account. I put the 100,000 into one of these CFD accounts. And I went and I bought Ryanair and went and bought all of these different shares. And sure enough, it was working beautifully. And in a short enough space of time, I turned that 100K into 250K. So 150,000 in profits. And I can remember thinking, whoa, this is like, where has, where has this been all my life? I've been into buying shares, but I've never been into margin trading. And this is like a whole different level. So my 100K became 250K. I decided, you know what, I'm gonna be sensible. I took my original 100K out and I let my 150 run. But I quickly turned that into 250. So the 150 profit turned into 250. So naturally I think I'm a genius, can do no wrong. And so I thought, why don't I go and put my original 100K back in? Because if I'm able to double the other stuff, then I could end up with an awful lot more profits. So I put my 100 back in and I ended up with 350 in that account. And I grew that account to 850,000 over about four or five months. And for like 850 grand from a, your original investment of 100K, you're suddenly up at 850K. I was buying oil and gas exploration stocks, gold exploration stocks, and these things were things that were very volatile, a little bit like Bitcoin, they jumped very quickly. And when it was at 850, I, you know, I started, honestly, I started kind of like losing the control and the discipline. And I started looking at like buying myself a new car. I was actually gonna spec up a, a brand new Porsche. And uh, I thought to myself, you know what? I'll put the order in for the Porsche and I will exit the portfolio when it, when it hits a million euro. So when my hundredth grand that I put in hits a million euro, I'll sell the whole portfolio and I'll take it all out and I'll have a brand new Porsche and I will have 750 grand or something like that to, you know, to kind of play with and to invest in. Anyway, sure enough, the market turned and in the space of one day, 70,000 was wiped off the account. 
And so naturally, and, and this is why I know that I would not have held on with Bitcoin, because as I watched my that 70,000, I thought, okay, I'm going to wait. It's going to bounce back. It'll go back to the 850. And then maybe instead of waiting for a million, I'll just sell at 850. Instead of doing that, I went down another 50,000 the next day. And it just kept on doing that. Now, you got to remember, at the time, I was very, very active in the property market. And so I would be out all day at meetings, site meetings, doing all this stuff. And I would come back to the office around 4.35, turn on my computer. And this is before smartphones. So you couldn't have your app with all of your prices on your phone. And I would turn on my screens and I'd have this kind of share trading screen and it would show me all red and I'd be looking at it going, what? The market has fallen by another 50,000, 100,000, whatever it is. And suddenly your brain is like bubblegum. You can't think, even though I had all this stuff to do, suddenly my brain is like working away at the losses that I've made and all this. Now the worst part of it was I went on holiday um, and it was around the time one of my birthdays and I was sitting by the pool with my kids I was actually playing and then I heard my phone ringing and I picked up the phone and I could see that it was the guys from the stock market account um, from the CFD account and they, they they left a message just like Gavin please call me um, the market has, has gone down again and so I called them up on my birthday and they told me that I there was a margin call. It had actually gone below the 100,000 that I had put in. My original 100,000 was now breached and it had gone down and my 100,000 original. Now we had gone from 850 all the way down. It's now 30 grand. That is the value of my portfolio. So my 100 has, I've lost 70,000 of my 100 and it's my birthday and so they do what's called a margin call and you have got to go and put that loss in within you know 12 hours basically before the next trading day so i had to go on my birthday ring up my assistant and tell her transfer 70,000 to these guys so i did that went back to the pool i thought to myself right as soon as this market bounces back i'm going to get out of this damn thing i don't want to be involved any longer next day 15,000 loss, um, another margin call. I had to go, the day after I put 70,000, I had to put another 15,000 in. So long and, you know, the long story short, I ended up losing about 150,000 in total. I remember I actually chased my losses down to about minus 50,000 below the 100 that I had put in. And that's when I just called it quits. And I said, you know what, this could keep going and I just need to get out. Uh, like, like at 50,000 below zero, I just decided to bail on the whole thing. And sure enough, if I had stayed, it actually would have kept going and I would have probably ended up having to lose 250 instead of, instead of 50 or whatever. So look, that all might sound dreadful and it was pretty crappy experience for me. But there's actually guys out there, like professional guys that have done much, much worse. There's, I've just been reading recently, there's a guy in the US called Bill Huang. Now he's originally from Hong Kong or something, but he has, he set up a company called Archegos Capital. And Archegos Capital was like a hedge fund. And he went and he built this, 
you know, these hedge fund guys, they get lots of money from investors and stuff. He built it from 200 million up to $20 billion. So he was, he was actually worth, personally worth $30 billion at one stage, like in the last two years or something like that. And in the space of two days, every single penny of it is gone. It was just these massive, massive bets. He borrowed money and then he borrowed like millions, tens of millions. And then he had also 5X'd the leverage on it. And $20 billion, he could have sold all of his shares, all of his investments, and he'd have 20 billion of cash sitting in the bank. And instead, every penny of it lost. That's just recently, Bill Huang is that guy's name. And then if you go back like another 20 years, there's a guy called Nick Leeson who broke the Barings Bank. I think he was trading in Singapore. He ended up going to jail for a couple of years and he lives in Ireland now. Uh, interesting guy. Now, there's another story just before I finish up. And it's it's actually a family that I know that here in the Irish uh, market, the Purcell brothers. And the Purcell brothers were a meat processing family. And uh, they the father had built up this big business and they were trading um, meat all over Europe. And, and, and I think they were also selling in the Middle East, like Egypt and places and Iran and Iraq and stuff. And anyway, the 70, father, when he was 78, retired and left his son, 36-year-old son, in charge. And they were, as I mentioned, they were exporting meats. So there was a lot of currency exchange involved. And what started out as just a kind of means to save on the currency exchange rates and stuff actually started to play on the son's mind. And he started thinking, you know what, I can do some currency trading and I can actually make some serious profits here. So even though the annual revenues from this company were like 20 million or something like that he was trading 77 million dollars of uh, currency at the time and that's because as i mentioned with this margin trading you can 100x when it comes to currency and so 750,000 could actually be turned into 775 million dollars and what happened anyway in the end was the market moved very, very rapidly and the dollar lost a lot of value. And in the end, he was seven million down and the father had to come out of retirement and basically like take them to court and try to prevent the company from being liquidated. And in the end, the family had to go and sell off assets worth seven million in order to pay off these losses that just triggered like in the space of a couple of days. And he actually went on to lose similar, uh, not similar, but three million was also in, um, borrowed from other banks and stuff that also had to be paid off. So like when you're winning in these trading situations, you know, you can feel like it's you're at the top of the world. Nothing can go wrong. And this gives you a real false sense of your capabilities. You think you're an expert. You think you're special. And you can actually be very, very wrong. And it's only when the market turns that you realize how wrong you are and it can really humble you very, very badly. So margin is not to be played with unless you really, really know what you're doing and you have the mentality to be able to do it because the mentality and the sort of the discipline is what's most important. You have to cut losses. You can't chase losses down when you're dealing with margin. Now, real estate is not entirely dissimilar except for 
it does not have that volatility and so when you're looking at you know crypto and things some of the stuff that makes it attractive is the volatility and the fact that it can shoot up but you don't get that in real estate which makes it maybe less attractive to people who are impatient but what it does mean is that you're actually going to have something that's slow and steady and you can make safer bets and um, and that is probably why banks are comfortable with mortgages and stuff so look guys it's been a long one um, to conclude diversification is recommended but be aware be very aware that shiny objects and FOMO can kind of catch your attention and you have to try to resist that thing when people like your pals are making lots of money that is not necessarily going to last and you can end up you know following them into that and then you find out that they've lost as I mentioned my pal who was buying Ryanair who kind of attracted me into CFDs and all that well I remember going on a flight with him a year or two later and asking him how was this stock markets you know trading and stuff going and I told him like it cost me a bloody arm and a leg and he actually told me that he had uh, nearly lost it all and that um, he had actually had to ask his father for for help at one stage and that his father you know bailed him out and the next morning all of that money was gone and so that was when he realized that he just also had to cut all of his losses and just walk away from the market so look some people can take it some people cannot you really do have to understand your emotional strengths and weaknesses and it is not a weakness to admit that you don't have that strength um, to kind of hold on that is not a weakness you might think that no no I want to be the strong person who can hold on if you just admit to your strengths or weaknesses do you have that you know ability to resist temptation and all that if you do then maybe you can go into those things but if not um, I think you just need to be very very careful and just know yourself all right, guys, look, I hope that was useful. That is the show. I'm going to catch you all next week. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed the show or found it useful in any way at all, please take a moment to leave a review over on iTunes or alternatively share it out on social media or to, with a friend who you think the podcast could help. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via my Facebook group, Behind the Facade Community. And the long-time listeners will be aware that I have a YouTube channel called Gavin J. Gallagher, where I have recently begun posting these episodes. These actual podcast episodes are up there to watch. And shorter videos, videos from the construction site that we have at the moment, and various other kind of bits of advice and stuff that I put up there. So go and check it out. If you're not a fan of YouTube, you can stay in touch with the various projects I am working on by joining my tribe over at GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, you'll be able to check out the online learning and education stuff that I have on the real estate business, including my mastermind. That's all for now, guys. I'll see you back here next week.